0: Time for answers in 2nd Esdras as we expand into other parts of the word. But 2nd Esdras started all this, and we deal directly with challenges and scholarship, especially to this thinking now. We started in 2nd Esdras with this crazy thinking that we do not go directly to heaven nor hell when we die, which requires an immediate judgment. Oh, see, here's the problem. That is never found in the whole of Scripture, nor the doctrine that we go directly to heaven or hell when we die. That might be church doctrine, but illiterately so. It doesn't represent Scripture. We'll show you the origin of what it does represent in a couple of videos. Now, we identify not just in Enoch, but the writings of Paul and even Messiah's words and others that there are chambers in the earth where our spirits sleep when we die awaiting the day of final judgment. So second destress is consistent with the whole of scripture there. There is only one judgment, only one consuming of the wicked with eternal fire in mass. Uh, yes, Satan returns and, and, you know, all of that happens after a thousand years, but that's a, that is minor in comparison to the day of judgment, which is all who have ever lived, resurrected at once, and judged by Messiah, and all of those wicked consumed. So, we're talking billions at once. I mean, you want to talk about a miracle. His greatest work is yet to come, folks. So, we are then given new bodies, and we will live with him forever. Satan has nothing to do with these chambers, and has no power over them, and he's not the god of the underworld. That's stupid occult Greek mythology, not Bible. He wanders the earth in Scripture. That's what Messiah says, if you believe him, of course, and even still enters heaven, which we see in Job, we see in Jubilees, and we see even in Revelation. For a purpose, all the way up to Revelation 12, when he starts a war in heaven. Again, he's in heaven to do what? To accuse the brethren who were not created prior to creation, thus not there to accuse for those trying to claim that that war from Revelation 12 somehow happened before creation. Nonsense. Illiterate to Scripture. So we've dealt with that uh, in this series and Answers and Jubilees in great detail. So no such war has ever been recorded in all of Scripture, even the watchers. They did not fight. In fact, they cringed when they got the news from Enoch of their coming judgment and what was going to happen uh, to them being locked away in the time of the flood. They cringed. They didn't fight. They were afraid of Yahuwah. Now, let's handle many of the challenges found in scholarship. These are going to be from scholars. I'm not going to go to everything they say because they go on and on and on. And this is already going to be a long video just dealing with all of this stuff. But we need to do this, and this is important. Um, But basically, this Bible thinking, because that's what this represents, we've shown you from the Bible. This is what the Bible says, um, which proves to be Bible. And theirs actually does, does not in origin. If you are jumping into this part of the series without watching, just warning right now, you're better. Uh, if you haven't watched the previous three videos, just stop. Go back to 23A, 23B, 23C, and then watch this one, 20, 23D, because it just, it, you are not going to get this otherwise. It won't make sense. This is a continuation, and it is a case building upon, really, the references from the first two videos are the most important. So make sure you do that, watch, because you have no foundation by which to understand this material, that's all. Uh, We love that you're watching the video, great, thanks for coming here, but you're really better to have the foundation, so please do that. Uh, Let's get to it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, 7 through 10. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Messiah. Indeed, grace. But remember, we still have to be in relationship with him to receive this grace. Understand that. He's clear on that. Read uh, Matthew 7. uh, Read John 15. There's tons of places where he is very clear on that. Himself. Not Paul. Him. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. This is important. What is a captive? A sort of reference to a slave, essentially. It's about ownership, not necessarily a negative connotation. Uh, you will notice Paul uses this word only twice, and the other time in Titus, it is the relationship of a slave with her master, essentially, pretty much, sort of. Um, some read this as we are held captive by Satan in death and then loosed. Satan has no such authority, and that's ridiculous. Um, that's not what he's saying. Some re- read that uh, Yehusha freed the captives from their chambers to all go to heaven, Well, except for those chambers are still there in the New Testament many times we've covered. Uh, So what? He flushed them out only to fill them again? Well, maybe, but uh, no, not. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works in Scripture because uh, they would have had to have returned the ones that came up. It's only about 500. It wasn't like it was everyone in the chamber, number one. And they were returned by all accounts. Nothing says that they went to heaven. Nothing. So that doesn't work either. Essentially what happened when Messiah died and rose from the dead, defeating death and hell, that's what's important, Uh, well, it was his legal transfer of his inheritance. And we are his inheritance. No, the reading of the will has not taken place yet, of sort, okay? This is his writing of the will and recording it legally to give... An analogy, if that makes sense. The final transfer of this inheritance are really at the reading of the will proceeding. Well, that will happen on the day of judgment. When all are judged, these spirits remain in their chamber. But the ownership is claimed by Yahushua already for those who are his. They're not judged yet. But the ownership is claimed. He's put it in writing, right? he's, He's made his will. But we still have a ways to go. So, no, he did not judge them yet. They're not judged. And they would have to be judged to go to heaven. And there's no record of him judging at his death and resurrection. It's not there. You won't find it in any account. So, he will not and did not take them to heaven with him. There is no record. They will remain stored and asleep in their chamber until the day of judgment. None of that changes in this passage. He is merely declaring his inheritance, which is us, believers. Why? Because he defeated death and hell for us. He's advancing the covenant. Not for the wicked, though, who will still be consumed with eternal fire on the day of judgment. They're not his inheritance. We are. The righteous are. But the world has not ended at this point. And again, many scriptures tell us he has not executed judgment yet. All spirits await such, still sleeping in their chambers. It's simple. He did not change that here, but reinforced it really. Now, this next part is interesting, as it affirms, essentially, what I just said. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? See? He descended first. Got that? He didn't go to heaven. He didn't go to paradise, heaven. No, it could be called paradise. The Garden of Eden is also called paradise. He didn't go to either of those. He specifically went to the chamber within the earth called paradise. Also called Abraham's bosom, which we just covered. Same thing. Uh, Basically, that's what he mentioned to the thief on the cross. Because if he meant heaven, then he lied to the thief. Because the scripture tells you he didn't go up to heaven. He went down into the chambers within the earth. So which is it? You can't have it both ways, right? Paradise is a reference to a chamber within the earth, period. Not heaven, which is above, not beneath. So it's pretty clear. Messiah descended into the lower parts of the earth, the chambers where spirits sleep. Paradise. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now we know he ascends after his resurrection and days here in the flesh on earth. Thus he descended into the chambers within the earth at his death, as did the thief, as we all do when we die. That's where our spirits go. And again, I, I, scripture is so abundant. Again, this is the same uh, when we understand the paradigm as when Stephen, the disciple, when he was stoned to death, he says, Yahusha Messiah, receive my spirit. Wait, Yehusha did not receive his spirit in heaven? What? No, of course not he received them into the chambers because they're his. <laughs> he created them. I mean, the assumption that uh, Yahuwah doesn't have anything to do with these chambers uh, that he created is nonsense, and here's why, and this is going to make sense now. Now you're going to see where some of our research comes together and why we went so deep into finding, locating the Garden of Eden and why it matters so, so much to restore this. Basically, in the chambers within the earth, you basically in location are next to the Garden of Eden, which is what? Where the Holy of Holies, the permanent one, not the temporary one in Israel, but the permanent Holy of Holies of Yahuwah is in the Garden of Eden. These chambers are not controlled by Satan. He's not there. He's not part of this picture at all. He's not the God of the underworld. That's bogus. That's false. The God of the underworld is there in fire. Oh, yeah. But he is a fallen angel and he is burning You know, in fire uh, awaiting his judgment. He is not going to get out. He's not going to be able to commune or talk to you or anyone else. He is dead to the world. No one can touch it. So, um, he certainly doesn't judge you when you die. Yet, the Catholic Church believes that doctrine and will go there. So, Satan's not in the picture. He can't get there. He doesn't have that kind of power, and that's not his role. They are under the protection and some in the very presence, at least, especially the righteous chamber, uh, in part of Yahuwah. Why? Well, they're within the earth. The Garden of Eden, where His Holies of Holies is, is in the earth. See, nothing in Scripture is inconsistent with this. Just especially scholars who haven't done their research. They don't know where the Garden of Eden is. They don't understand the Hebrew word Gan means enclosed garden, not just garden. You know, it, it's there's a lot to this. Watch our Solomon's Gold series where we cover that and we locate the Garden of Eden under the Philippines, but within the earth. See, they remain unlearned in the Bible itself. There's so much that they don't know, so when they're pulling these things together, there's so much they are not able to draw on. They know their denominational doctrines, though, and that's what they defend to the hilt. Um, they don't know Scripture, unfortunately, many times. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've covered a little bit of this, but we want to get into this, starting in verse 1, because many read this fragment in verse 8. Out of context, let's fix this now. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, that's our bodies, that's what, that's what Paul's talking about, were dissolved, and that's what happens, right? We, we're buried in the earth, and we return to dust. That's what our bodies do, and our spirits go to the chambers within the earth. So, we have a building of Elohim, a house not made with hands, eternal In the heavens. Now that's awaiting us on the day of judgment. Paul records we receive new bodies, incorruptible bodies, on the day of judgment. We've covered that. Those are Paul's words, even. And this is Paul speaking here. So it's pretty clear that's how we are to read this. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, our new bodies, which is from heaven. That's our new bodies, which will live forever. For believers, of course, that is. If so, be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. So we are not meant to live as just a spirit, but meant to have bodies. These will be bodies like Adam, and we will eat of the tree of life again and live forever with him. That's how it works. So notice, when a Nephilim dies, and we cover this... In Answers in Jubilees, where do demons originate? When a Nephilim dies, they have a demon for a spirit. That is their spirit. It's who they are. And their spirit has no place to go like ours. They don't have a chamber to go to. So they wander the dry places, you know, looking really for someone to invite them in so they can possess them. Now, that's not you and me, and that's not what our spirits do, and that's not what they're meant to do. Our spirits are meant to have their own body And, uh, that's very clear in scripture. So all of that's so abundant. These will be bodies like Adam, and we will eat of the tree of life again and live forever with him. There you go. For we that are in this tabernacle, earthly body, do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life, so clothed in our new bodies, incorruptible bodies, that will live eternally. That's what he's referencing, and again, those are Paul's words exactly. Now, he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is Elohim, who... Also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. So he's separating. He's showing you that there is the Spirit and the body. That's the, Those are the two elements of mankind. Um, now, we're going to deal with soul in a whole video coming up. So I'm not going to get into that. But notice Paul doesn't mention that there. Uh, he's only mentioning the two components. And we'll tell you why. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that, whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from Yahuwah. So get this, when we are here on earth, in our earthly bodies, this is what he's saying, we are absent from Yahuwah's physical presence. That's true. Yes, he is omnipotent. He is everywhere. But if he came... To the earth in his physical presence, a whole lot of people would die. So, does that mean we have to go to heaven and Paul overturns all the many passages from Messiah, from himself, even, and other apostles, and even the Old Testament, which all tell us that when we die, we sleep? Of course not. Yet, many do this with Paul all the time turning him into a hypocrite, which is ridiculous, but they do it all the time. And then there are those that take that hypocritical position and then take that to say, oh, well, we should throw out all of Paul's words. Well, yeah, because you're listening to the church who paints Paul as a hypocrite. That's false in the first place. So you're taking the false doctrine and saying we should throw Paul out because the church teaches a false doctrine. Huh? That's not Paul's fault. And Peter warned us, that he was taken out of context 2,000 years ago, 2 Peter chapter 3. Read it. Verses 7 through 9, here we go. This passage is so misunderstood. Not anymore. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith of what? Did, Did you notice what he was just talking about? We just saw this passage is about our receiving new bodies that live eternally. It's the hope of the uh, day of judgment to come and life with him eternally. So when does that happen? Well, on the day of judgment, of course, according to Paul, especially many times over we have covered. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with Yahuwah. Wherefore, we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Indeed, and this is an awesome scripture. But, again, many need to fix their paradigm here in reading it. The assumption is one can only be in the presence of Yahuwah in heaven. That's a lie. That's not true, not even remotely true, because you were in his presence in the chambers. Scripture is clear. We don't go there upon death. We'd have to be judged, and we're awaiting the day of final judgment, so it hasn't happened. Again, this must be reconciled, and it's pretty simple to reconcile. Yahuwah's presence is in heaven indeed, but also, as we just discussed, in his holy of holies within the earth in the Garden of Eden. Boom. See that is important to understand, and we've lost that over the years, so then we we miss stuff like this because we don't realize that his presence is within the earth. You know we're here in this paradigm thinking that Satan with a pitchfork rules the underworld as Hades does in Greek mythology. that is a lie. That's not true. That's not how the world works. It's such nonsense. And then you have science coming and saying, well, there's just magma inside the Earth. Well, you know, except for that, the the oil, that's pretty abundant, And, and, and the water, you know, because every time they've dug deep in the Earth, seven and a half miles is the deepest, they found water flowing through rock. No magma, didn't happen. Okay, they also know that there are uh, basically just hollow pockets within the Earth, and there's pockets of other minerals and different things as well. So, uh, no, the whole Earth is not magma inside, and the core is certainly not magma, because scientifically that is complete nonsense. It makes no sense whatsoever. But it all plays into the same thing. See, the, the scientism is doing the same thing with Satan and in the Pitchfork. So we all think, oh, inside the earth. Now, is there a hell, a sort of hell in earth? Yes, for fallen angels. And they are burning there. That's fact. But men don't go there. So it just doesn't work. So many things are awry in the church today because they really haven't researched this stuff out. So if, uh, check out Solomon's Gold series, answers and Jubilees, and we well prove out, even map out, by Noah's directions, uh, the route to uh, the Garden of Eden, it's in the Philippines, under the Philippines, within the earth, it's not up here, okay, I know people will say, oh, but the Philippines doesn't look like the Garden of Eden, where's the tree of life, where's the two angels, that guard? okay, come on. Grow up and listen, because we've covered this in such great, great detail. It's within the earth, and you're never going to see those two angels, because you're never going to get close to it. <laughs> but the fact is, um, that's where the Holy of Holies of Yahuwah is. That's why the same two angels would appear later on the replica of the Ark of the Covenant. Same thing. That's why it's surrounded, the walls were all uh, surrounded and painted with gold. Why? Because the Garden of Eden is the same. The Philippines is the land of gold, so it is covered with a coating of gold. See, these things are all right there. Facts. Okay, so now Paul will tell us exactly when this happens and when we receive new bodies, which we've covered before. He's been clear multiple times. He knows the timeline of that, and he nails it. Uh, It's not when we die, and he's very clear. Spirits go to sleep. We've well covered. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah. Boom! Boom! We all know that is the final day of judgment. Thus, the timing we receive our new bodies, essentially, and for this passage. So, again, to try to use this to say that, uh, you know, we we don't, our spirits don't go to sleep. Uh, it doesn't work. Um, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, really, the new, new bodies, according to that he hath done, there you go, um, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of Yahusha. Well, it his day of judgment is going to be a terror for those who are wicked. We persuade men, but we are made manifest unto Elohim. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now, again, this is the day of Of judgment. When we are awakened, that we are conscious. When we are made aware, it is manifest. It's pretty clear, not before. Let's go to Acts 13 33. This is one the scholar over at Blue Letter Bible struggles to be able to read and comprehend. In this regard. Of course, once again, he pulls out a fragment out of context and he doesn't even understand it, which is normal. Uh, None of us are smart enough to understand fragment out of context. I mean, you go take a book and pull out, you know, a sentence, you're not going to understand its complete contextual uh, purpose, and and no one would expect you to. no None of us are that smart. No scholar is, that is for darn sure, and they ought to grow up and realize that and start behaving like researchers. That's what they should be doing. God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Yahusha again, as it is also written in the second psalm. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead. So this is all about Yahusha, right? Um, this is the context, and I'm reading this first because he just pulls out a fragment. Later, we'll get to. Now, no more to return to corruption. See, on earth, we live in corruption with corrupt bodies. But again, Paul says that we basically put on the immortal And the incorrupt, that's the difference. That's our new bodies. He said on the wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, David did, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Again, that's about Yahusha. He's the holy one prophesied in David's time, even. Uh, For David after he had served his own generation by the will of Elohim, fell on sleep. There you go again. Uh, His spirit went to sleep. Sleep means he's not awake, not conscious. That's what sleep means. And we can't change the definition. And was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. When did he see corruption? When he was alive and his body corrupt at death. Uh, even still. Paul is clear, as we saw, we trade that corrupted body for a new incorruptible one on the day of judgment. This doesn't change that. This should not be hard to understand, but the scholar doesn't. God He's trying to use this to make the point against what it actually affirms. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. That's Yehusha. He was perfect. He was sinless. David was not. You and I and every other patriarch are not either. Uh, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of Elohim. That's Romans 3.23. The point of this passage is not even what happens when we die yet again, and yet that's what we see often being used, passages that really aren't even about the topic necessarily. Uh, tried to use to refute it when the ones that are very direct, they come right out and tell you what happens when we die and when we resurrect and what happens on the day of judgment. They are incredibly clear and they can't be debated. It is far too entrenched. The point of this passage, uh basically it reinforces the same view and mindset as we've already been teaching. So it really, There's nothing to see here. Here's another. The scholar over at Blue Letter Bible simply can't seem to read and comprehend. Again, he's a good guy. Uh, You know, we've read his stuff for years. We love Blue Letter Bible, by the way. Um, But, you know, this topic he does not have a handle on at all. This is because he's steeped in a mindset, not the Bible. It's called church doctrine, the doctrines of men. We should all stick to reading the Bible and restoring it. Isaiah 14, 9 through 11. And then we'll take you back a couple of verses to see the context because he doesn't get this at all. Hell, now that's Sheol in Hebrew, uh, which simply means, uh, you know, within the earth, essentially. Not a burning hell. Uh, though there is one included for, again, angels. The watcher fallen angels are there, but not men. From beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Meet what? Our spirit. Not your body. We know that. That's very clear in Scripture. You know the body is to return to dust. That's what Scripture says. It's very clear. Uh, By the way, someone asked, you know, what about cremation? How does that affect uh, us on the day of judgment? And the the reality is it doesn't affect you at all. Because to have your body cremated, it, it turns to to dust uh, in the earth, or if you cremate it, you're just speeding up the process, really. Um, the reality is, Yahuwah is going to give you, or Yahusha is going to give you a new body uh, on the Day of Judgment. So, it, it really matters not if someone's been cremated. So, I don't worry about the ramifications of that. Just want to bring that up because we have had some people ask. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. This is interesting. I'm going to finish reading and I'll explain. All they shall speak and say unto thee. Wait a minute, they're speaking, they're saying? When does that happen? Ah, not while they are asleep in the chambers. Hello. Art thou also become weak as we? This is what they're saying when? On the day of judgment. Art thou, they're saying this to David. David was a great king. So now they're "Oh, dude, David, what, you know you're just as weak as we are. Your body went into the into the, you know dust, just like ours did. Art thou become like unto us? I mean, we're the same. You're no better than us. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, right? <laughs> and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Now notice who's speaking here?" They're only focusing on physical terms because, well, these are pagan rulers. Uh, Once again, here's the problem. What is the context of this passage? We'll go back and read, but even here, this is the day of judgment. As these kings of the nations are being raised and speaking at the end on the day of judgment, again, this will be clear. Let me go backwards and see the context, so let's do so. Now, let's go back to verse 5 in uh, Isaiah here, and he will tell you that this is the day of judgment. So, it's really not even questionable. Yahuwah hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. We know when that happens, guys. That is the day of final judgment. That is the context here. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. Now, this is talking really about the beast or the the final eagle empire of 2nd Esdras. He that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hindereth. See, no one can stop Yahusha's judgment of the beast and of that final ruling power and of all the wicked on the day of judgment. No one. Period. We know this time period. It's very clear and very obvious. This is when spirits awaken and when they speak. That's why the rulers, the nations, are now speaking because it's the day of judgment. But it says it again, twice here already. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. (laughs) All is stopped, folks. When are we in? We're on the day of judgment. It's what this is. The dead are all raised and judged now. That's where we are in Isaiah's vision here. It's all happening on this day. They break forth into singing. Well, of course, that's going to be the righteous that does that. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller is come up against us. So, in other words, since the beast and the final world empire was put down by Yahusha, the trees are safe. See, man is done ruining the earth at that point. It's pretty simple. The trees breathe a, a sigh of relief, essentially. Then the passage before, which is telling us David's spirit was in the chamber, but his body separated, eaten by worms, pretty much. I mean, that's that language is there. Just as the wicked were, and it is the wicked who are saying, See, you are the same, because, see, your body became worms just like ours. Well, no, this is because they're clueless and they only focus on the body, which is why they will be consumed in their judgment. This is not muddy at all, only to, well, a scholar. Then this same scholar, not of the Bible, but of fragments out of context, (laughs) to support his denominational view, let's just call it what it is, Uh, yes, non-denominational is a denomination, just so you know. Uh, It's rather funny, yet it is. Uh, It operates the same as the rest. Uh, You know, it has the infrastructure, it has all of it, it has its doctrines, Uh, it is a denomination. You tow the line, or you get out. That's the way it works, especially at, you know, the big megachurch uh, that he's in. So, they look for justifications to debate their positions. Um, that's their job. Uh, they don't read the Bible genuinely, which is why they don't understand it many times. So, he'll tell you God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Well, that's scripture, no doubt, and we'll, we'll, we're going to go there here. Uh, but now... We all do realize that we are still living in spirit when our bodies are dead. Just because you're asleep doesn't mean you aren't alive. That's the assumption here. That Oh, well, they're asleep, so they're not alive. Who says that? And who would say that? That's, sorry, stupid. Scripture is very clear. And that is simple simple basics uh, that this scholar just seems to misunderstand. That, of course, another fragment out of context, and we're going to read it in context. So, let's go back to the beginning of Messiah's answer in Luke 20, verse 34. When he tells you his context is that of, oh, you'll never guess, the day of judgment. When we are, basically, when our spirits are resurrected. Okay. And Yahushua answering said unto them, the children of this world, Mary, And are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead. We know when this is, the day of judgment. Neither marry nor are given in marriage. So we no longer need marriage. No more procreation even. But we will live as the angels in heaven. Key. note: not the bad watcher. Fallen angels who did in fact take human form and mate with Women on earth, not in heaven. And yes, they can do everything a human can do when they take human form. And they did, according to scripture, very abundantly. And we've covered that in our Who Were the Nephilim video in Answers and Jubilees. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Neither can they die anymore. Eternal life. See, we all know when this is. It's after the Day of Judgment. For they are equal unto the angels, and are the children of Elohim, being the children of the resurrection. This is believers on the day of judgment. That is the context of what Yehusha is saying. Let's continue. Now that the dead are raised. Oh, when does that happen? On the day of judgment. Even Moses showed at the bush when he called Yahuwah, the Elohim of Abraham, and the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob. For he is not an Elohim of the dead, but of the living. Indeed, absolutely, 100% true. For all live unto him. Yeah, we continue to live. How on earth, this scholar cannot read... And see, this is referring to our spirits continuing to live. They are alive, they sleep, but they do not die. A second death, according to Scripture abundantly in Revelation, a couple of times, in fact, is very clearly this day of judgment when the wicked actually experience a second death. Not believers. We live. So we continue throughout. Again, asleep in the chamber in between. It is on the day of judgment that we then are judged right and given new bodies and live eternally with him. How can a New Testament scholar not understand that we are not dead when we are physically dead? But our spirits continue. They should know that. I mean, that's standard New Testament, duh. Uh, Even Messiah said we sleep, meaning our spirits sleep. However, uh, it is illiterate to claim that somehow this verse supports his nonsense, that the soul or spirit cannot exist outside of the body. That's his whole point. That's false. It's not true. Uh, That's not scripture. Uh, He doesn't know a whole lot of scripture, it seems, but he certainly doesn't know how to read this one. But he does know his doctrine. No, thank you. Then he takes a passage and completely messes it up, misunderstanding the power of Messiah to awaken the dead and put them back to sleep whenever he so chooses. He has that power. He exercises it on the day of judgment, folks, in mass. Everyone is resurrected at once. So how is it that we don't get that? I mean, that's pretty simple. Yet, It's in scholarship it it, it's as if it doesn't ever happen. They don't know or understand Scripture. Scripture's clear. Some wander wandered around Jerusalem at his resurrection, preaching some of the dead. A power he has to raise them up, and he will apply in mass on the day of judgment. Those were just foreshadowing. Really, a demonstration, a small demonstration of his power of just 500 people. Imagine the billions he will resurrect at once on the day of judgment. That's the Messiah that I serve. And if this scholar doesn't, well, I'm not sure who he does serve. First Peter 3, starting in verse 18. For Messiah also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to Elohim being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. Ah, see that? His flesh is dead. His spirit is alive. Is this stuff really that hard? The concept is right there to start in this passage he's trying to use against this. It's amazing. Um, Yet it's right there. Uh, His body died. His spirit did not. lived on. It lived. It was alive, but asleep. It went into, uh, basically, it, it will use the word prison. That's what Peter calls it, prison, meaning it's an enclosed chamber. Uh, not that it has bars and not that people are in chains. That would be nonsense. Um, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Well, how can he do that? Wait a minute. Well, wait, 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 wait. This is is a strange doctrine. Well, this is this is the Bible, folks. This is Peter. Peter's not strange doctrine, Last I check. So, uh, you can't say that. So, we need to embrace this and figure it out. What does he mean? So, how can he do that? This is a power that Messiah possesses. And he will produce in mass on the day of judgment. We already know that. Yet, why would it be questionable that he could do that when he goes down into the chamber? I mean, you can't. I can't. No. But he can. He has the power and the authority to do so. That should be no surprise. In fact, this is him exercising authority over death. Think about that uh, for uh, spirits. So, with which ones does he speak? Well, it says a little bit, which sometime were disobedient. Now, that could include everyone for that matter, because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory, uh, including patriarchs. Okay, so that doesn't really tell us anything. So who would it be? Well, probably it would be the very 500 that he then took with him in his resurrection who wandered around Jerusalem. He probably awakened them specifically in order to tell them the story so they could then relate it to the people around the city. See, that's how he operates. And that he can do. He can also resurrect them because that is something he has the power to do. When once the long-suffering of Elohim waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. That's actually the finishing of something from before. We won't go into that. So now this scholar then says there is no purpose in guarding unconscious spirits in prison or preaching to them. This is his words exactly. The fact that they were under restraint shows them to be conscious. What? I mean, how ridiculous. He just basically changed the passage. He just made up his own Bible. And this, this is what bothers us about scholars far too often, is they do really stupid stuff like this because this is ridiculous. Manufactured nonsense. They are in a locked, enclosed chamber. Really, there's no doorway on record either. And see, Satan, well, he can't even get in. For one, it is to protect them while they sleep. That's why Peter calls it a prison. He just changed the paradigm and the Bible, essentially. He sees the word prison, and then they're in a chamber, not a prison in our terms. And that's the Bible way of saying this. But the word prison's fine. Don't have a problem with it. Um, There is no door again. They cannot leave the chamber unless Yahushua takes them somewhere, which he does for some. See, these are the likely 500 or so spirits that came with him in his resurrection and preached to Jerusalem. What did they preach? Him. And they could not unless he preached to them first. Duh! You know... He places them in, what, restraints, this guy says? Or says they are restrained? Where does he get this? Such nonsense. And he says that that proves they are conscious and could, well, I guess, escape, essentially. How stupid. So, Yahuwah creates a chamber for souls or spirits, uh, but they can escape from them? That's stupidity. Uh, that's someone who doesn't believe that our Elohim, that our Yahuwah, is uh, anything but impotent, that he is not enough, and that he, he can't do the job. I mean, that's really what he's saying. Where does it say in this passage that they are in restraints in a chamber? Nowhere. Ridiculous. He added to it to try to force his doctrine of men because he cannot disprove this position as this position on this is scriptural, and his is not. He then ridicules what Messiah did because he doesn't believe the Bible. Yahushua awakened these spirits and preached to them. That's what it says. So he did, period. What's so difficult to understand here? It doesn't change the paradigm of massive scripture in abundance. And again, this power is attributed to Messiah. We already know he's capable of doing both, of awakening the spirits that are sleeping and resurrecting them both. We know that, as well as giving them new bodies uh, in the final resurrection. He couldn't do that that day. Uh, that, That wasn't in the cards for that day either. That's not there. They would have returned. It reinforces it, and again, these are likely, you know, the 500 that came to the surface with him to preach. So he was preparing them. They were likely alive in his time and needed to be taught, or no, pr- probably weren't likely alive in his time. Uh, they probably needed to be taught about his coming and death and resurrection to come. You would think that he probably chose prophets, uh, but we don't really know. He could choose the average Joe. He could choose anybody. It doesn't really matter. That would be up to him really not that hard though when you stick to foundation is it this scholar waffles even makes points that prove this position while trying to disprove he's just debating not actually looking for the truth and we see this in scholarship all the time now this is the same for moses who was awakened to come and he appeared with elijah who by the way and he uses him as well but he forgets elijah never died Hello! (laughs) That's what the Bible says, and there's nothing in the Bible that says that he did die. It's just not there. Okay, so if he did, we need some kind of support for that. But he makes that assumption, or really just error, because uh, he lumps in Moses and Elijah in the same, you know, in the same fashion, and they weren't in the same circumstance. Moses would have been awakened in order to come to the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, he appeared with Elijah, but Elijah never died, so his spirit was never in the chamber in the first place. Duh. Not sure how a scholar could miss that. Again, it's just probably an oversight. Again, he doesn't believe the Bible. That's really a good part of it. Uh, They appear at the transfiguration. Uh, He also makes the assumption that meant they were always conscious, yet again, well, Elijah was, because Elijah didn't die. But he was never in the chamber. However, Moses was dead, physically dead, and his spirit went to sleep. And he could testify of Messiah without needing to know anything past the books that he wrote. And we will prove that in the Book of Jubilees coming. Messiah has the power, first, to awaken spirits from the dead. Second, these are likely two of the 500 that were awakened. Well, one, Moses, Uh, would have been one of the 500 that was awakened and walked Jerusalem preaching the gospel. Very likely, that would make sense. Uh, Now, this is in Matthew 17, you can go and read the whole account, but I wanted to mention that while we had you here. Uh, If you want to go through it all, go ahead, please, read it all. But, same concept, wrong thinking. Nothing there says they were conscious prior to... Messiah is coming down, at least not Moses, into the chambers and awakening some for his purpose. And that's the 500 there. Uh, They would return there after they were done with their purpose. Though again, Elijah again is not, he's he's not dead. So not as far as scripture is concerned. Now that is never recorded in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul is caught up into heaven. uh, Basically as paradise. Wait a minute, but, but but paradise is a chamber in the earth, isn't it? Well, paradise is also the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, paradise has different connotations uh, depending, and you have to look at the context to see which one. See, Paul went up, he didn't go down. So he went to the paradise that is heaven, not the paradise that is the chamber within the earth, and not the Garden of Eden that is the chamber within the earth, neither. So, in heaven, Paul heard things no mortal is to repeat, therefore he did not. However, that was heaven, and it was up, not the chamber that was down, called paradise also, by Messiah, which is essentially Abraham's bosom. Paul says, Messiah went down into the earth at his physical death, meaning his spirit, he knew the difference, and that's obvious. Of course, the blue-letter Bible scholar, as usual, goes on and on and on with things that don't even connect or make sense, and he makes assumptions They really are, in our opinion, less than elementary. Uh, And again, he's a smart guy, that's not the point, but he's so steeped in his doctrine, he just can't see that far. For instance, he tries to claim that since Elohim is a spirit, and angels are spirits, then that means that all spirits are always conscious. Well, yet the Bible, which he ignores, says the spirit of man sleeps when he dies physically. That's what it says over and over and over and over and over again, which we've covered very well. Um, that's just fact. He can't get around and just ignores to make a non-point to fit his doctrine. But he doesn't know the Bible on the topic. Uh, And there's several such. We won't go through them all. Uh, We're almost done here. Uh, I know this video is long, but uh, we wanted to be detailed on this because we need to deal with these things. Yes, you, and we're not here to entertain, so we could care less about that. Uh, Yes, Yahuwah and the angels are and will remain conscious. Yes, absolutely, 100%. But there is no such foretelling (laughs) of them going into the chambers. Because they don't die. I mean, how is that so hard? (laughs) They are eternal already. We are not. Our spirits are, and they will live forever once the day of judgment happens. And we'll get our new bodies, though. Our spirits are meant to be in bodies. But how hard is that to understand? He claims that Hebrews 12, 23, you see that on screen, which says... But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living Elohim, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, that's not Jerusalem Israel, by the way, which is a copy, just as the temple is a copy of the Garden of Eden. That's what it is, and of the really the, the temple in heaven, the Holy of Holies in heaven as well. Um, watch part 12a of Solomon's Gold series, and we explain that even with map. And to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Wait a minute. You mean Adam has a church? No. <laughs> Stop. The angels were the firstborn or created on the first day of creation before man who was created on the sixth day. And this is their assembly. So not even talking about men yet. It's not even there. Uh, which are written in heaven, and to Elohim, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. There you go. Now, there's men's spirits, the righteous ones. Uh, and when it's this event, again, this is the end times, the day of judgment. So it really doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't apply to uh, it basically as a counterpoint. It actually affirms This view that we've been explaining. And to Yahushua the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So again, he takes a passage on the day of judgment, when spirits are awakened, to say they are always conscious. Well, because why? Because they were just awakened on the day of judgment. That's kind of nonsense, isn't it? Uh, he goes to Revelation 15, we've covered, uh, so I'm not going to go there. Uh, in the death of the innumerable multitude, also not understanding the time of that. This is a special time uh, in which there are two multitudes the 144,000 who are in heaven, really a first fruits offering from Israel uh, in the last days, 12,000 from each of the tribes, the 12 tribes. Born there, actually, in heaven and not on earth, uh, redeemed from the earth. Uh, But men, the male child, actually, of Revelation 12, the same. We cover that. Go and watch Answers in 2nd Esdras, the 144,000, or Part uh, 13 of Solomon's Gold series. We cover it over, I think, six videos. Very, very, very uh, detailed there. Um, So basically, that is the first time that we see that men are living in heaven. I mean, other than Yahushua, no one is. It is an end times thing, uh, just as there's also an innumerable multitude, a second multitude, again, we already covered, of tribulation martyrs um, at that late stage. They don't go into the chambers, but at the end of the great tribulation, uh, those martyrs go right into heaven, according to scripture, for an end times purpose. And these two multitudes have different purposes, in fact, for the end times. So finally, he screws up and under, misunderstands, uh, which we have covered, that in Revelation 6 and 2nd Esther's as well affirms it, uh, as what, you know, we've covered, uh, the chamber of the martyrs, such as Abel, uh, continue to cry out for Yahusha to avenge their blood. It's actually from actually the book of Enoch, sorry, not 2nd Esther's. Um, this is well affirmed and, again, not difficult to understand. But when you are only steeped into a paradigm that has little interest in proving things from the Bible, but instead defending your doctrines, these scholars often become, become inept, uh, unable to comprehend simple sentences, and concepts. This is not that difficult. And yet again, here's another point that's supposed to be a counterpoint against what he calls soul sleep. We don't, but that's his his word for it. Um, you can call it whatever you want. We don't really care. Uh, we're just teaching the Bible here, and it's you know our spirits sleep when we die. That's what happens. Uh, that's factual. It's provable, and at this point, it is very well proven. Nothing, he says, disproves it. Nothing. In conclusion, we have yet to find a single verse that says our spirits do not go to sleep yet. Many over 50 that says they do, period, when we die. And certainly not that they are conscious. We don't see one single scripture that says that, period. Uh, The circumstances, uh, the timing... Is not even considered in this, and when you really look at it and realize what it's saying and that it's talking about the day of final judgment, there really is nothing to discuss. Every one of them used to proclaim the opposite, again, has to fall in line with the whole of Scripture, with a foundation built on Scripture as truth. When a scholar gets a hold of something like this and goes in so many directions that actually all serve to affirm this, just mixing and confusing and misreading fragments out of context. It is clear their only intent is to defend their doctrines of men because they don't prove from the Bible. None of these verses say our spirits are conscious at death. It just doesn't. And if they are, well, most especially, why? I mean, talk about torture. It's unthinkable, especially for the righteous, I mean, why would you put Abraham through that over all these thousands of years? He would have to be awake, knowing this, watching people. You know, if if they could view the the what's happening on Earth, even oh my goodness, he you know talk about rolling over in their grave. They say, um, man, he would be. Pained, it would be the worst kind of torture, really. I mean, you know, watching Israel taken captive and uh, even into Egypt, uh, the slavery, and then you've got into Assyria and then Babylon and then for good. You know, it's wow. (laughs) That would be very painful for old Abe to uh, to watch, and no, Yahuwah wouldn't do that to him. Don't believe it. Uh, Not buying it. It's unthinkable. Um, For what? Uh, what are our spirits doing, uh, basically, in these chambers if if they're not sleeping? Why why are they there? Right? It, it doesn't make sense unless they're sleeping and resting, awaiting judgment, which is exactly what they're doing. Of course, this scholar doesn't bother to even ask such a question of himself and his doctrine because he can't answer it. And we see this all the time in scholarship. Not well and accurately, anyway, at least because... His position is actually not biblical. Uh, We have seen from the story of Lazarus and the rich man, one of the largest used to claim we are conscious at death, that the timing needs to be understood, and this could only happen at the day of judgment, which is why they are awake and why they are conversing. It is why they can see from one chamber into another, which record never exists otherwise. Prior to that time, there should be walls in between. These chambers are not separated by a chasm in any other account. So when would this be? This would be the day of judgment when things have changed. They are enclosed in Scripture, and that is clear. Peter even refers to them Uh, These chambers as prisons, uh, as they are enclosed, Uh, no, not to keep spirits um, in necessarily, but to protect them. They are asleep. So this is where they are preserved, and no, Satan cannot enter. Uh, There is truly no evidence that debunks this well-recorded paradigm in the whole of Scripture, uh, that when we die, our spirits sleep. I mean, it's right from the lips of Messiah. You can't really argue with it. Uh, In fact, why on earth would such thinking bother anyone, really? It's a beautiful thing when you think about it. We are preserved in the presence of Yahuwah even. How about that? No, not in heaven, but in the chambers, which are right next to the Garden of Eden, the Holy of Holies, Ah, which is within the earth. You know, this is so cool when you really think about it when all things are restored. We know nothing of the time passing, and if we did, that would be true torture, even for the righteous especially. However, on the day of judgment, just as Lazarus, the rich man, and Abraham, we will all be awakened. And that's the timing of that story. We will know only that moment, At that point, and then, the righteous will be taken into the air to meet those living righteous, and the wicked will be consumed by eternal fire, recorded over and over and over and over and over and over again in Scripture. There is more to cover on this, so next, we are going to go into the definition of the soul. Because some ignorantly in comments are saying, you don't know the difference between the soul and the spirit. Is that true? Hmm. Well, we were taught in seminary, of course, uh, you know, the the trinity or trilogy, perhaps. <laughs> but also for man, um, there is basically we are a spirit. Uh, we have a soul and we live in a body, a triune being, they told us. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Why the obsession with the occult threes? In fact, one must wonder. The soul is defined by them as the mind, will, and emotions. Yet the word soul has far more definition and meaning than those three that they pick out so that they can make it the occult three yet again. Oh, wait till you see this. They are obsessed with threes, I guess. So, let's see. Next... What is the soul? We're going to go there. We hope this video has served as clarification. I know it's been long, but important nevertheless. Hope you made it all this way. Uh, because so many have misunderstood this in the church today. When we die, our spirits sleep, period, awaiting judgment on the final day of judgment. When we are resurrected, we meet him in the air, those who are believers. Those that are wicked will be consumed, and we will receive new bodies and live eternally with him. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful story. It's a very positive story. We have over 380 videos on this channel, one for every day of the year now. Many just as profound, with some 50 or so in Tagalog for Filipinos, and now 6 in Spanish to start. We also have been setting up subtitles for 20-plus languages for most of our videos. Don't forget to like and subscribe and click the bell for notifications. Oh, there's a click. Uh, (laughs) uh, For new uploads uh join our email list, though, as YouTube, well, they just forget to notify often. They just do, I, I don't know. I, we, we try to tie a string around their finger and just nothing seems to work. Anyway, we will notify you ourselves at thegodculture.com. Just fill in the pop-up. We now have alternative platforms for videos on Rumble and Utreon, uh, as well as Odyssey, we just announced uh, about a week or so ago, and our new podcast is also available for all of our videos as well worldwide on many platforms, uh, pod servers. All links in the description box, and friend us on Facebook at The God Culture Space hyphen Space Original. If you prefer an alternative, we now have Parler. Link below. We now have five books published internationally, being read in over 100 countries, with our new release now available, REST, the 400-plus page case for Sabbath. This is a critical case that every believer should know. If you are a New Testament believer and you are not aware of the importance of the Sabbath, then you are not reading the New Testament. We prove it. Read it and find out for yourself. We also have now launched Ophir Philippines Coffee Table Book in the US, Canada, UK, and many overseas markets on Amazon. Uh, And it's also available in hardcover or softcover over there. Uh, Additionally, we launched the Book of Jubilees, the Torah Calendar, with color maps and interior now, as so many have requested overseas. Uh, We already had color in the Philippines, so no worries. But that too is available still in black and white uh, for a lower price point. Uh, and it's available in hardcover or softcover if you wish on Amazon overseas. All books, including Solomon's Treasure, now are free in ebook. Just go to ophirinstitute.com for all the links for your area, for all of the books. More coming soon. Thank you for watching. Now always remember: prove all things for yourself. Yah bless to everyone. In 400 B.C., the prophet Ezra predicted, For my son, Yahushua, shall be revealed with those that be with him, and they that remain shall rejoice within 400 years. Essentially, 0 B.C., the era Messiah was born, and by his very name, in exactness. After these years shall my son Messiah die and all men that have life the origin of John 3:16 And the time shall be when these things shall come to pass and the signs shall happen which I showed you before and then shall my son be declared whom you saw as a man ascending. Even the end times are defined long before the book of Revelation. The son of Elohim being confessed in the world. After seven days, the world will be raised up. Mass resurrection of those who are asleep. The judgment seat, evil will disappear. The Lion of Yehuda will consume the final empire, consuming his enemies with fire from his mouth. The lost tribes return. Every eye shall see him handing out crowns and giving palms. The road to salvation is a narrow gate. Few are saved. The Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life are opened in the end. He is not willing that any should perish. The signs of the end times and origin of Matthew 24 in part. These are just some of the many prophecies in the book of 2nd Esdras, long before the book of Revelation was conceived. Second Ezra's written before John's revelation. This is the interpretation of the dream which you saw, and whereby you only are here lightened. For you have forsaken your own way, and applied your diligence unto my law, and sought it. That's Yahuwah speaking to the prophet Ezra. 2nd Esdras is dated at least 1st century B.C., as it is used to interpret Habakkuk and blessing of the prince of the congregation who is Messiah. This includes a radiocarbon dating testing uh, as well of one fragment from 120 to 5 B.C. We cover this in the introduction. This book includes 1st Esdras as well, which is also dated to the 1st century BC, when one examines what is called in fraud the Proto-Ester fragments from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which do not remotely fit Esther, but are a match to 1st Esdras. We cover this in the introduction of this book, as well as on our YouTube uh, videos on Esther in the original canon series. Second Esdras was quoted by Messiah according to the original authorized 1611 King James Version. Matthew 23, 37, and 38 is a direct quote from 2nd Esdras, which is anchored right there in the margin note as the origin of Messiah's words. For Esdras is 2nd Esdras, which we explain in the introduction. Yes, he quoted 2nd Esdras multiple times. When accurately dated, 2nd Esdras proves the origin of significant doctrine in the New Testament. We cover many such instances in the introduction. There is a reason why these two books remain in some Bible canons to this day. They test as inspired scripture. Test them for yourself. Get your copy now free in ebook. Again, this content is free. If you would like it in print, it is available on Amazon internationally and Shopee Philippines. Just go to 2 esdrasorg Download the ebook, and the links are there for your area.